Welcome to the podcast version of Police Science Doctor, the online resource bridging the gap between research and investigative practice. For police personnel who go the extra mile. For academics who want to connect better with investigative practitioners. On YouTube and on policesciencedoctor.com. This is Suzanne Knabeny Call from Police Science Doctor with your weekly dose of police science snippets. Police Science Doctor is a free website with lots of free content for law enforcement around the world with information from scientific research and established findings on what actually works best in law enforcement, intelligence, military, policing, and all these related fields from forensic psychology, criminology, investigative psychology, etc. So the three science snippets I bring to you every week are very short summaries of a finding that I think is going to be of use to many of you, um, be you know, maybe you're a frontline practitioner, maybe you're, I, I don't know, obviously I have no idea where you're all working, but the point is that there's so much research published all the time and it doesn't get to the practitioner. So that's what police science doctor does. It tries to get the research findings to the practitioner. And also a lot of it is not very applicable. A lot of the research that is being published is very theoretical, it's, it's extremely specific or it's very abstract. So I try to find three golden nuggets of information that are, I think are actually going to be actionable in some way, even if it's just for you to start thinking about something in a new and different way. If you are a subscriber to the free, free Police Science Doctor email list, you get these emails, emails to you into your inbox every Tuesday and you actually get the link to the original research as well. Whether you can access that or not is um, beyond my control. That's got something to do with the publishers of these um, scientific journals. But also you get access, as a subscriber, you get access to all the previous police science snippets. So this, this week it's police science snippets 80, which means I've been doing this for 80 weeks. And there are 80 PDFs for you to download if you want to set up your library. 80 PDFs with three science snippets each. So the snippets I've selected for you this week. The first one is video policing versus police attendance. Now, this is actually groundbreaking. This is some research that was done by Professor Lawrence Sherman from Cambridge. And what they did is they offered domestic abuse victims when they called the police in a non-emergency. So it's important to understand that the perpetrator was not there. They did not need immediate physical protection from the police. Nevertheless, domestic abuse victims phoned the police and they were offered by the police to the choice of either being connected to a uniformed police officer on a video call straight away or wait for police attendance. You know, the traditional way, you know, somebody will come and take your statement. Sometimes that can take hours or even days. Okay, so they were given that option and they run this pilot for a while and then they phoned up all the victims and checked their levels of, level of satisfaction with the police and in the investigation. And then they looked back at the cases and what actually the outcomes were and how, um, I'm not sure if they got the outcomes, but you know, the arrests and things like that. So, let, so this is just me free talking about it. So let me just read it. Domestic abuse victims who called police um, in non-emergency situations were given the option to speak to a uniformed officer within minutes via video or to wait for police attendance. Those who chose the video option were more satisfied with the police than those who actually had physical police attendance at some point, and also more arrests were made in the group that had the video option. It was 24% of um, those calls resulted in an arrest. There, you know, compared to those who waited for police attendance, there was only 16% of those calls re resulted in an arrest. 
what does that tell you? That might be down to the victim actually giving more information, giving more context, feeling more reassured to to proceed in some way. So, you know, there's a lot of things that could go into that, but 24% versus 16% is quite big. That's almost double. And also those who had the video call, chose the video call um, option, reported increases in trust and confidence in the police. Now, that might mean that in the future, they might feel more, feel more confident to actually disclose to the police. So really, really big repercussions. As I said, this research is groundbreaking, okay? You can have video calls by police officers with victims rather than waiting for police attendance. Police attendance is carried out by response officers, you know, who are rushing from one call to the next, and they might not be able to give people their full attention for very long because they might need to get called off and pulled off to another call that might be more urgent. But also in terms of resource allocation, you can speak to a police officer straight away. How many calls can they handle in a day if they don't have to drive around between them? So the victims are happier. There's more arrests made, so it might be a more effective way of policing and is less resource intensive for police. That's a no-brainer. So the link to the research is, is, um, is in the email. As I said, I recommend you have a look at that and I recommend every police force starts thinking about this. The other thing about, um, about this, from a victim perspective, would you rather have a police car standing outside your, parked outside your door to come and take a statement or would you rather have the you know, the more discreet option of speaking to someone and nobody knows about it. Also, what if the offender, come, the suspect comes back and the police car still parked outside? So in terms of, um, you know, their social circle and the offender coming back, it might be a much better option to do the video call as well, rather than have police attendance. So that's something for you to think about. Second snippet for today, risk scores in justice-involved youth. Now, risk, you know, risk scoring is carried out by professionals when it comes to you know, taking into, into, into account a number of different factors to somehow assess how much of a risk somebody potentially poses, you know, how likely are they to reoffend. Youngsters who were under court supervision for at least one year had decreasing risk scores over the first 19 months, but they then rebound in increasingly increasingly larger increments. So that obviously suggests, right, so something is working during the supervision and it stops working after the supervision or after more, after more time has passed. So what do we need to do? We need to keep something in place. We need to have something long-term in place. And that might be a lot more cost-effective because when somebody offends, it costs society a lot of money amongst other things. And the last snippet for this week is about leadership and burnout. Whilst high work effort by police officers is associated with higher levels of burnout, a health-oriented leadership buffers that effect, so it can actually protect officers from burnout. However, job rewards, you know, giving incentives for this work, giving them a reason to do extra work, does not reduce the work, um, the risk of burnout. So even if the officers are feeling, you know, they're doing this all for a specific good purpose, you know, promotion, bonus, or you know, extra training or something, that doesn't actually reduce the risk of burnout. Perhaps it has the opposite effect. Perhaps it actually entices them to work even harder, which again increases their risk of burnout. But the important thing here is health-oriented leadership. Now, health of the police force or the employees is extremely important because police forces are not healthy police officers are not healthy people i mean we've had research here in the uk that one in five police officers already has ptsd symptoms 
Okay, so it's the, the 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 workforce health and policing is extremely important. It's not very good currently, and it is a massive issue in terms of you know just a moral responsibility towards your employees as a police force, their effectiveness, their safety, turnover, and you know insurance costs and everything. Last, perhaps I think it was last year, um, a colleague and I interviewed a police of a uh, police chief from the U- U.S. Um, Corey Darling, his name was, you can look it up on my website. And um, he invested in the health of his police staff and police employees. And the insurance company started asking questions, what are you doing that's working so well that we have so few, so many, you know, such such a reduced amount of payouts? It was cost effective to invest in the health of your police force. So that's something for you to consider. Those were the snippets for this week. I hope there was something of use for you there. And I will see you again with the next snippets next week. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. I hope you found this content useful. You can get access to each episode's transcript with key learning points, timestamps, and references if you get yourself onto my mailing list. Just go to the main website on policesciencedoctor.com and on the bottom of each page you will find a sign-up form for notifications of new content. Just enter your first name, your preferred email address and the type of organization you work for. You will not get any spam. This is just for me to let you know about new content and for you to get access to all the transcripts. Thank you.